I'm amazed how many people own stocks. Welcome to the Playing Footsie podcast. My name's Paul, and each episode, me and the lads get together to talk about the stocks, stock market news, and finance in general. Quick disclaimer, you shouldn't consider anything in this podcast as personal financial advice. If you need such advice, go to a financial advisor. And please remember, when investing in any form, your capital is at risk. So sit back, relax, and let the lads fill you in with all the stock market news of the week. The sucker's going up. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Midweek FTSE. Uh, Steve D and Steve W here. Without Paul this time, uh, we thought we'd just use this show this week to do something a little bit different. Normally, we uh, take some of your questions and give you our thoughts on them. This time, we thought we'd just reflect on our show from Sunday Just Gone. So we were fortunate enough to have a chat with Brian Feroldi for about 40 minutes or so. Um, and we've done a little bit of thinking about that experience and some of the stuff that he said and some of the ideas that he kind of gave us. And we thought we'd just get, get together, have a bit of a chat, share our thoughts on those and uh, share some of them with you, I guess. So we've both picked out some stuff that really stood out to us from our chat with Brian. Uh, Steve, what's top of your list? Yeah, so just before we start, Brian was a, a, a really good guest and um, part of sort of being an interviewer is kind of sitting on the back and letting your guests talk and and Brian talked for a long period and we tried not to challenge him because we sort of figured we could talk about it ourselves afterwards and talk to you guys about it so um but one of the things that stood out to me although probably the most important thing that stood out to me is that it's it's okay to change your mind um so uh, Brian was talking about how he started being a, a penny stock investor and then he switched from being a penny stock investor because it just wasn't working for him to being like a high dividend yield investor and he sort of discovered a couple of years down the line that that wasn't working for him and he tried being like a value investor and he was really focusing on value even at the times when he was at the Motley Fool he said he was over over focused on on value and even challenging David Gardner on his Tesla pick um before finally becoming and settling on this on, on, on this growth investor so i thought that was quite um interesting i know steve you've talked about sort of like wearing different hats and trying different hats and and you've settled into value maybe you're on the feroldi path where you'll eventually be, become a growth investor um but yeah i just thought that was a really important point from from brian that you can try you know lots of different things and you, you know you've got to go with the one that feels best for you steve do you have anything on that yeah, it's really interesting. I think both for myself and from some of the people that I talk to, I sort of think of the three of us normally that are on our show as being at different stages on that kind of journey through investing. And I think whilst it's not the case that Paul and I have um, been investing for wildly different amounts of time, I think we're both entrants into the market at broadly similar points. I think probably just as a result of the kind of lives that we lead, I've been fortunate enough to be able to spend a lot more time just sitting around thinking about it. He's much busier than I am. He has much more uh, demand on his time, I guess. And the more I sit and think and think and think and really get to stare at my screen and work out what kind of works for me and what doesn't work for me and matches my temperament and matches my kind of way of thinking about markets, I guess. Um, the more I find I'm kind of, yeah, leaning towards valuey stuff, or I suppose another way of putting that is, kind of caring very much about the price I'm paying for things, I guess. Um, I don't particularly favour a kind of style of stocks more than any other ones. I know Paul leans towards sort of dividends. I used to be kind of dividend-minded, but I found that basically frustrating. I sort of felt like I didn't really have the kind of temperament to sit and watch a kind of 3% yield tickle in uh, over a quarterly uh, kind of basis. Uh, and I thought I'm going to look for something that I think is making kind of more money than what it's worth now, uh, basically. 
So, yeah, I was really interested that Brian hasn't always uh, been kind of a growth enthusiast because I always think of him as a kind of the arch growth investor uh, that I can think of. Um, we'll come back to this point in a moment with some overlapping stuff, but he very much has his style locked down from what I can see of it, right? He has his checklist. Um, he's very much worked out his approach to thinking about things. Um, and I was really kind of curious about that. I mean, how would you say your style kind of looks, Steve? I, I associate you as a kind of mix of things for what it's worth. You have a, a core and a satellite or a, a main portfolio and a penalty box. Yeah, I think your point on time really fits in well here. That I have a lot of time to look at stocks, so I I don't necessarily need to whittle down the um, the amount of stocks that are available to me. I I always think value investing or calling yourself a growth investor or calling yourself a dividend investor is just a way of whittling down the overall universe of stocks to something more manageable to the time that you can devote to it. So if you have a specific criteria, say that. Paul has um, basically he likes free cash flow and cash flow to be uh, returned to shareholders. That helps Paul because he he has a very sort of specific and rigid structure that he's looking for um, in companies, and, and with that, that helps him whittle down the list of I don't know, say twenty thousand stocks down to just a few thousand stocks, which is obviously a lot more manageable when you run a few extra um, a few extra screens to find out exactly what it is you're after. But myself, I've got quite a lot of time, and I I do like like Brian, really, really like looking at companies and looking at financial statements. So I'm quite happy to pick and choose uh, the companies from all different sectors and all different sort of stages of life that I feel are currently the best stocks around for my portfolio. Um, so that's really what I'm doing. That's interesting. I mean, it kind of plugs into what was my kind of biggest takeaway. Um, I asked Brian about valuation and kind of whether he really cares about valuation or as a growth investor, how he kind of figures out when a stock is too expensive. It's if you're a value investor, I guess you kind of, or if you identify as a value investor, I suppose, you kind of care very much about the price you're paying for things. And I was sort of expecting Brian to say, I don't really care. Uh, as long as the company's going to grow enough, or I think the company's going to grow enough, I'll pay whatever for it because uh, I think it doesn't matter in the long run. I mean, I've seen on his channel, he's got the kind of chart, which I think is quite impressive, uh, where it shows you that what kind of is most closely correlated to stock returns is revenue growth. Uh, so he looks for revenue growth above everything else. Um, I haven't yet worked out what I think of that, by the way. I find that quite a compelling looking case, but I need to dig into that a bit more. But he didn't go in and say, um, I don't care about valuation, just pay whatever. I mean, he has quite a nuanced approach to sort of valuation. He thinks that, as I understood him, valuation matters more the bigger the company is. So when you're looking at a company like I think his example was Apple, uh, what's that going to grow at? Well, presumably it's not going to double its revenue next year, realistically. Um, we don't have to be kind of uh, too strongly of the view that big companies can't grow to think that the growth is going to be under 100% or something like that. So he, he takes the view that the bigger the company is, the more the valuation matters. And when you're looking at a kind of smaller market cap company, I guess something around the sort of 2 billion, 5 billion, maybe even under a billion or so, um, less worried about that and more worried about their ability to push their top line. So he kind of has a scale, I guess. And the further you kind of come down the uh, market cap, um, the more revenue growth matters and the less valuation matters, I guess. And that was how I understood him as saying things, which I thought was really, really interesting. What are your thoughts here, Steve? 
Yeah, it, really the same. Um, it was interesting when we posed the Stripe question to him about if would you buy Stripe if it came with a hundred billion valuation. He said, "Well, no, because I'd have to believe that has to be, you know, that's going to become a trillion dollar company," which kind of makes me think that straight off the bat, really, um, to be worthy of new capital in Brian's portfolio, he's got to think that you can ten x, um, which is. You know, I suppose when you've been finding them for as long as sort of Brian and, and the folks at the Motley Fool have, you can sort of go into stocks with that confidence that, you know, you, you could probably find another one. Um, but I certainly don't have that. I don't have that mentality yet, but I do understand it, if that makes sense. So I think um, mm-hmm. he's probably right when you're looking at a company under five billion that really none of them are overvalued on the proviso that they continue growing at the rates that they are. If the if the, the growth rate slows down, then, yeah, you, you've got a problem. Um, but if you're looking at a company that's, you know, between 1 and 5 billion valuation that's growing at, you know, 60 to 100% a year and continues to do that for a little bit of, of time, then the market cap will, will go with that stock. Um, so, yeah, it was a really interesting point from him. I, I was um, – it did make you just sort of sit and sort of take a breath and think, huh, yeah. I agree with that. That's I can see how that works, and and that made me think about the Motley Fool a little bit more as well, and how technically I guess with almost everything new that they put forward, that's what they're looking for as well. They're just looking for exponential growth, uh, and obviously there's a few other factors tied in there, like they want to see it having previously beat the market because that means that there's actually sort of investor sentiment and you know investor investor um, investors are interested in the stock. So if you have, you know, good sentiment, investors interested in it and exponential growth, then yes, it's likely that that company would, you know, quite rapidly increase its market cap. So, yeah, I was, I was really impressed with that answer. And it, and it did definitely make me think a little bit more about it. Maybe I was just hearing what I wanted to hear a little bit with my value investing hat on here. But I kind of thought that one of the things that I took away from it was the lower the market cap goes, I mean, within limits, so I think sort of 2 billion, 5 billion, the bigger the margin of safety you basically get from growth, more or less. So he said he looks at the market cap and thinks, can this 10 times, right? So his answer to the Stripe thing was, I need to think that can go, um, you know, 10 times the market cap on that. Do I think that? Don't know. Um, Probably not. Uh, Thinking about the kind of sort of tech companies with a 2 billion, 5 billion uh, valuation, some of the stuff I've been mentioning, like Blackboard, like Aspen Tech, like uh, Guidewire Software and so on, Okay, so you wonder whether or not they can kind of uh, 10x in a certain way. Well, if your idea is that, yeah, I reckon this thing can 10x, there's your margin of safety in the kind of classic Buffett thing, right? So it's 6x's instead of 10x's. Oh, well, uh, we'll kind of live with a a 6x return um, and that sort of thing. Mm. So maybe I'm hearing what I want to hear there a little bit, but I got the impression that he thought it was easier to find a margin of safety on the smaller stuff than the bigger stuff, which I guess would square with the Buffett thought that, Berkshire is struggling to find investments because they need investments of a certain size and of a certain Hmm. size, it becomes harder to find massive mispricings. Yeah, that does make a lot of sense because with Berkshire, they've not really, well, they've got that much cash now that buying small chunks of company isn't enough to to move the needle and valuations are reasonably high at the moment in the sort of stuff that they would want to go for. So they're not looking to to spend that much on that. So they're in a bit of a catch-22 situation. But I think Brian's point is kind of like, I, I always see them as kind of, they're almost spread betting on growth, I think. So he's looking to buy 10 mm-hmm. companies between two and five billion valuation. And if five of them stay the same, two of them 10x, and the other three go bust, then he's made a lot of money. 
and and I think yeah. that's kind of how they're going. Even if you know five of them don't make any money and uh, they stay exactly the same, and uh, four of them go bust in your ten x, you've still made a decent return. So it is. It's kind of like spread betting on growth, and I think over the last sort of well ten to twelve years, um, spread betting on growth has been a fantastic place to be, and we just have to remain. You know, it's it's. It's up in the air up whether that's going to continue. I think I personally believe it will do, um, and there'll be people in listening who think you know perhaps perhaps that period of time is over. We think QE is probably going to come to an end or, or definitely slow, and rates are going up, and they are problematic too, um, especially with high inflation to to companies that have earnings out in the future. Um, but yeah, I, I thought it was a really interesting point. Yeah, so I very much doubt that period is over forever. Um, I think we will again live to see the day when Kathy Wood is the winning investor of Wall Street and Warren Buffett is washed up, like they were last year, basically. Uh, and now it's exactly the opposite way around. Kathy Wood doesn't have a clue what she's doing and Buffett is a genius. And the truth is realistically somewhere between those two things, right? They're just advocates of different styles and different styles are in fashion at different times. And they will go back the other way again. I think it was really interesting to say when he said that it was uh, it's okay to not not be interested in stocks because 99% of people aren't really interested in stocks and and it is okay to just buy index funds if if you're not interested in personal finance and you're not interested in looking up businesses then there really is nothing wrong with just buying index index funds they would they would wholeheartedly recommend that that's what you do um, but there is that one percent of people who are who really like finance and and are crazy enough to want to look at businesses in their spare time, and he thinks that you know those people could do could do really really well. Uh, I just thought that was a really really interesting point. So did I. He was more optimistic than I thought he might be about the prospects of beating the market as a kind of ordinary person, right? I mean, we hear a lot about how difficult it is to beat um, an index or outperform an index and so on. But he seemed sort of reasonably optimistic about um, the chances of, okay, keen, uh, but essentially ordinary uh, people, right? So by which I mean not kind of trained smart money or something like that. Yeah. Yeah, so I, I agree with him to that degree as well. And I think, um, like we said to him in the interview, that, uh, you know, from the David Gardner and, and Tom Gardner, having having those two as mentors will probably give you that sort of idea that you can just go out and buy um, individual stocks and, and beat the index because they've they've got the history to prove it and uh, the history that demonstrates it and um, you know with the, you know with a bit of luck they should see that um, should see that continuing but yeah I just I thought it was a really interesting point about um, I mean we see sometimes in the discord where we, we look at some of the, the stocks that people have put and we just think I'm not I'm not entirely sure that stock's going to beat the market and I think that's generally my thought that's how that's how he's kind of changed my thoughts now is that sometimes i'm looking at stocks and i'm also i'm thinking that's a good stock and i can see definitely see upside there but now i'm starting to think over the long term over the period i look to hold that stock is it going to beat the market or is it going to continue beating the market and it just added an interesting he didn't even say it but it was just an interesting point that he added to my my thinking that you know perhaps we should we should you know every stock we look at we should be considering trying to find that that market beating return over the longest period yeah i think that's connected to the thought that says if you're not going to buy an index you need a reason to be buying something that isn't an index uh so something that you think is presumably going to do better or uh you can define better i guess how you like as higher return or lower adjusted risk or if you're towards the end of your investing career something that will pay you a better dividend uh than the market i would accept that as a reason to buy something um rather than an index 
But yeah, it's about picking individual stocks. I guess you have to be thinking you're going for winners. I mean, you mentioned we look at the Discord and think of some people's picks. I wonder whether that's going to beat them. I'm fully aware that I think probably 90% of the Discord probably looks at mine and thinks that, for what it's worth. Um, I don't actually know how I'm doing against Ooh. the market this year. I haven't looked. I suspect I'm going okay, mainly because the market is having a horror show. Um, but I think, and I think Berkshire Hathaway dragging me upwards slightly is actually helping quite a bit, along with some uh, raw material um, exposure. But uh, yeah, I found that interesting. Do you have any final thoughts here, Steve? Just only that. Brian was a fantastic guest. I hope everyone um, enjoyed it. And um, I wonder what everybody at home took away from it, whether you took any um, anything interesting from it or anything that you really thought that you learned or anything that he... He sort of like just opened your eyes to um, because we was um, we was a bit sort of blown away at the end of it. We thought it was a fantastic uh, conversation and and I uh, uh, hope we can have it again sometime. Mm, yeah, that would be great. Um, so anyway, that was our midweek show. Um, thanks for watching. Do uh, like us. Do subscribe to us. Do uh, pass us on to anyone you think might be interested as well because uh, we've got plenty more of these coming up. We've got some interesting guests that we're looking at getting on, looking at chatting to, uh, let us know if there's anyone you'd like us to reach out to as well. Uh, but thanks for watching and bye for now.